the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. As human beings, we are born with a genetic code that we believe makes us who we are and guides our behavior, that we're hardwired to react in a certain way. What if this is a myth? What if we can erase and replace our internal programming and master our own code? According to today's guest, Darren Gold, our behavior is driven by a subconscious program of our own making. Our genes don't have full control of our lives. We do. Darren joins us to discuss how you can rewrite and master your code in every aspect of life. Darren advises and coaches CEO and leadership teams at many of the world's most innovative companies. He's the author of the book, Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. Welcome, Darren. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. So, Darren, we've been taught that our genes govern our behavior, but the emerging field of epigenetics has revealed a new truth, that our genes don't have full control of our lives. We do. What do you believe this means regarding the way we live life? Well, I think specifically with regard to epigenetics, there's an increasing amount of research and a body of knowledge suggesting that the environment plays a really critical role, uh, that that genes operate like light switches, and that the, the environment and cues from our environment send signals that either turn those genes on or off. So there's now a sort of consensus view, I would say, emerging that um, our environment is probably the most important driver of our behavior and the, the degree to which we have control over uh, our own ability to shape how we behave, who we become, you know, what we can achieve in life uh, is much greater than we may have otherwise thought. How powerful are our thoughts in this process? Um, Extremely powerful. You know, I argue the basic sort of essential thesis of the book is that we're all that we all have a program. Uh, And I define that uh, as a set of subconscious safety based beliefs, values and rules that really drive your behavior, but limit your results. And so uh, the basic kind of argument is that uh, over time, particularly in childhood, we begin to form beliefs about ourselves, about others, about the world, and those beliefs, those thoughts really govern and drive our behavior at the subconscious level. We don't even recognize that it's happening, and we act out of those beliefs. So if you want to have a different set of behaviors and a different set of results in life, you have to get at what I call kind of the source of action, which is the way you think and the beliefs that you hold. So you say that the average person is run by her program and doesn't even know it. The extraordinary person rewrites her program and becomes the master of her code. What are some of the beliefs of a person who is run by his or her program, who is in that subconscious mode most of the time? Yeah, I share um, an example uh, of my own, and maybe I'll do that right now just to sort of bring to life this distinction. Uh, I was eight years old when I came to the U.S. I was born in London, England, and I can tell you, you know, at age eight, having an English accent in Southern California is not very cool. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was teased mercilessly. And so in that moment, subconsciously, I didn't even know it, I constructed a belief that I had to be liked. 
And so this sort of need to be liked was sort of written very early on in my life without me even knowing it. And I was run by that belief. And it served me uh, in many respects. I, uh, I was, had a lot of early personal and professional success. But when I entered adulthood, I began to take on uh, more complex roles in terms of leadership. Uh, I started a family. Uh, the, this sort of program, this part of my program, this need to be liked, uh, started to really get in my way. I found it really difficult to have very direct and honest conversations. I robbed people of critical feedback that I worked with. And paradoxically, um, I got so, the ability to be liked was so good um, that it was hard for people to give me the kind of critical feedback that I needed uh, to grow and develop. So we have hundreds and thousands of lines of our program that begin to form the way we see ourselves, the world, and others, and we act out of those subconsciously. And until we can begin to see that, uh, it's impossible to change it. And until I began to see how much I was driven by this need to be liked, where it served me and where it didn't, and that here's the most important point, that I had choice as to whether or not to use that or shape it or, or choose some other belief, um, I was going to be constricted by it. So you had a self-realization that you needed to make change. You were able to see what was happening in your life. How can a person determine if his or her beliefs may be dragging him down? Yes, you know, oftentimes um, people will, the, the, lead, the late leadership expert Warren Bettis called has uh, a, have a crucible moment, some moment in their life that causes them to reflect on who they are and where they're going and what life they want to live. And sometimes that can be very severe, sometimes it can be not so severe, but oftentimes there's something that happens in your life where, you know, you may be living a pretty good life, but there's... Uh, a realization that you want more, that more is possible, um, or something really traumatic happens in your life where you're forced to reconsider almost everything about yourself and uh, how you're living. Um, or it could be just somebody that's really uh, eager uh, to learn and to grow. Um, books have changed my life. It's really uh, one of the main reasons I decided to write this book was that there is an enormous amount of wisdom out there um, that we can avail ourselves of. And oftentimes it's contained in the pages of books. So I think the most important thing for, for listeners to realize is, um, you know, I share this story that the, date, the late uh, author Davis, David Foster Wallace shared, which is, um, you know, two fish are swimming along and an older fish swims by and he says, hey, boys, how's the water? And the two younger fish say, what is water? Mm-hmm. That we're sort of metaphorically swimming through the waters of our beliefs and our culture and our conditioning, uh, and we don't even know it. So that realization that we are run by something and that we have the choice to write our own code and really be the author of our lives is probably the most profound uh, moment of awareness anybody can have. I went through very extensive loss at one period in my life, and I had that awakening. I mean, it took me 42 years to realize that my thoughts were not serving me well, the way that I was thinking about myself, about what I could achieve, where I wanted to go. I was self-sabotaging at every turn. And once I had that awakening, I knew that I needed to make some changes in my life. So what do you advise our listeners do when they come to the self realization? that something needs to change. How do they begin the process of writing their own code? Yeah, it's a great question. And I love the fact that you said 42 years old. I write in the book that I was almost 40 years old when I woke up to the fact that my life was being run by a program written by a seven-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that realization is really powerful. Where to begin is a great question. And, and really, the book is designed to be um, a guidebook for where do you begin and what are the key elements of your program that need to be taken on? I argue that there are sort of 10 essential um, parts of your program and therefore 10 lines of code that you can write that will really powerfully reshape your life. Where I usually advise people to, uh, to start, and I work with a lot of very senior business leaders, is what I call survival strategies. And I mentioned one of mine, which was this need to be like. And it turns out that as children, we all have some sort of traumatic experience. And it could be a major trauma or it could be what I call a lowercase t trauma. But something where we felt excluded, um, psychologically unsafe, hopefully not physically unsafe, but that may be the case. Um, And those moments tend to really 
the the more sort of core parts of our program. So I always advise people to take a look and, and see what is your survival strategy, which is what I call these responses to trauma in childhood. And I, there are three types of them. There's a belonging survival strategy, which is the need to be liked, to be accepted, to be included. I already referenced my own example there. There's distancing uh, survival strategies, which is the need to be above it all, to be separate. And those show up as the need to be smart or the need to be right. And we all have parts of all of these, but usually we have one primary one. And then there are controlling survival strategies, which is the need to be in control, the need to win, the need to succeed. Um, And so I often say, um, look back to your childhood. Try to identify a moment in time where you felt unsafe, not included. And I'm, you know, it's virtually certain that in that moment you formed one of these three survival strategies. And just to identify that, because that will be a major and primary driver of your behavior. And then there's some steps to go through to begin to master that area of your life. And I'll just say them really quickly. One is, where has it really served you? Because these survival strategies were really designed to protect you. Um, where is it beginning to limit your effectiveness? And I shared where you know, my need to be liked was really doing that. And then what would it look like if I began to expand this need, where I don't have to be run by this need, this survival strategy so much? And what might that give me in terms of range of action and possible results in my life? You coach leaders to achieve their goals. Do you think what many of us do wrong, it's that our thoughts and our beliefs are not in alignment with what we want to achieve? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I have a chapter on identity, and I think maybe one of the most important beliefs we hold is the beliefs we hold about ourselves, what I call your identity. And I ask the readers of the book to do the following exercise, which is to think about what you want most in life. And then think about the types of beliefs you would have to hold about yourself in order to achieve those results. Because I say in the book that the most fundamental driver of human behavior is the desire to be consistent with your identity. It's almost impossible for us to act in ways that are inconsistent with the beliefs that we hold about ourselves. So if I want to do something extraordinary in life, I have to have an extraordinary identity. And here's the really cool thing. Every belief is made up, including the beliefs you hold about yourselves. And if we've made up those beliefs, we can make them up again. We can reconstruct them. And so one of the most powerful things we can do is to begin to get really clear about what do we want in life? I want to be an extraordinary father to my children. Okay, well, what are the beliefs I'm holding about who I am as a father? And what people tend to discover when they go through that process is that the beliefs are not in line with what we really want to achieve because we've been conditioned over the years, I'm not a good math student, you name it, right? The experiences that we've encountered, particularly when we were young, cause us to construct beliefs about ourselves that aren't gonna lead to the type of results we want. And those things can be changed. And all of this is happening without us even realizing it. That's exactly right, which is why I called them safety-based subconscious beliefs. They're subconscious, which means they reside below the level of consciousness. I don't even know, it's the fish in the water. I can't even see the water, and they're safety-based. That is, they're primarily designed to keep me safe, not for me to thrive and excel and achieve extraordinary things. Are some people more successful because they are more self-aware? I think so. I think it's sort of the master skill, which is the, I start the book with a quote by a Stoic philosopher named Epictetus. It says, no man is free who is not master of himself. And, And essentially the book is arguing that You know, there's no guarantee to lead a joyful and fulfilling and extraordinary life. All you can do is to sort of raise the probability of that happening. And I think the biggest driver of doing that is what I would call self-mastery. Because the one thing we can control is our mind. And so what I'm really encouraging readers to do in the book is to take this thing on, this mind that you have, and to know that you have incredible amount of choice. It's the one thing that we can control that no one really can take away from us. And uh, in my study of human beings and really extraordinary human beings, I tend to see a very direct correlation between people that are successful and however you want to define that and those who really understand themselves, have a degree of self-mastery that's way beyond the sort of average person. As you know, the brand that I created about 10 years ago is Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And that was a result of 
the traumatic loss that I explained earlier, I realized that I needed to get my head in the game. And when I was able to, everything shifted. I meet so many people who live with this victim mentality that everything yeah. happens to them. And, and that's what's so exciting about your work, because it really teaches us just how powerful we are. Yeah, and that's a, another really important distinction that you just mentioned, which is this victim mindset that the world happens to me. Uh, my circumstances shape me. There's very little I can do. It's a psychology term called locus of control. It's been studied for 50 years. And uh, you can either be at the external end of that spectrum, which is the world happens to me, or the internal end of that spectrum, which is there's always something I can do to affect my situation. And the research shows and I detailed detail this research in the book, over 50 years of research, that people that hold an internal locus of control, a responsible mindset that there's always something I can do to affect a situation, have meaningfully better outcomes in every dimension of life, health, finances, career, marriages, education, um, you name it. And uh, unfortunately, the dominant human being sort of mindset is a victim mindset um, that, you know, there's very little I can do to affect my circumstances. And that's probably the most important of the lines of code that mm -hmm. you can shift. Is there a daily practice that you can recommend to help our listeners begin this process? Yeah, I, I love the, that question because um, daily practices, I think, in and of themselves are the act of extraordinary people. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, very short stories is, is Jerry Seinfeld when he was beginning his career as a comedian said, I'm going to write a joke every single day and I'm never going to, good or bad, and I'm never going to miss a day. I'm never going to break the chain. So one of the things I always advise people is take on a daily practice and never break the chain. The act of doing something every day without fail, um, without negotiating with yourself is the act of an extraordinary person. So just doing that alone, I say take 10 minutes, wake up 10 minutes before you otherwise would and never miss a day that will begin to transform you. What you do in it, less important. What I do um, is I make sure that um, I'm, I have a, gra a gratitude practice. I reflect on the three things that I really want to accomplish in the day. Um, I, I sort of remind myself of my values uh, and how am I going to live in accordance with my values. And I think really importantly is I say my identity. So I have an identity statement. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. And that identity statement will lead to certain behaviors, but only if I'm continually reminding myself of it. So every morning, one of the first things I do is I say my identity statement, and that's my daily practice of ensuring that I'm wiring that set of beliefs into my mind um, so that I'll act out of them you know, more consistently. The book is Master Your Code, The Art, Wisdom, and Science of Leading an Extraordinary Life. If you'd like to get more information about Darren and his work, you can visit darrenjgold.com, or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Darren, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, I take a hard stand in the book that everybody has the potential uh, and the right to lead an extraordinary life. And I leave that up to, you know, your listeners to define what that means. I don't think there's any one definition. Uh, the invitation is to take yourself on. Uh, that can be a little frightening for some and challenging, and, and I get it. But the rewards of that path, the looking inward, the understanding of what's driving you, and then the exercise of choice to begin to really author you know, the beliefs and values and rules that you hold um, are really extraordinary. And uh, I hope the book can be a part of that journey for you. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. 
call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss The Gift of Maybe. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, many of us have goals and dreams, things that we want to achieve, but we worry that these things might never happen, especially when we don't see any signs of forward movement. I know in my life, it's really easy to want to give up and allow our ambitions to create pain or to create dissatisfaction in our life. So why do you think this happens? How can we have goals, but at the same time, not worry so much about the future? Joan, that's a great question. I think a lot of us have a fear of uncertainty. Either we're afraid that we'll lose the things that we have in our lives, the things that we cherish, or we fear we can't have the life that we want. We can't achieve the goals that we want. We can't have the relationships that we want. We worry that things are not going to work out. And what we do in order to manage this is that we think we know how things will happen. We write stories about what needs to happen for us to be okay. And then when things don't work out, We feel like things are never going to change or they're not going to get better or when something bad happens, we're not going to recover from that either. So we're always kind of playing this game where we're worried about life, we're worried about the future. And so if we have a goal or we have a story about what we believe needs to happen for us to be okay, if it doesn't happen, we're going to live in so much pain. And what this also does, it steals our hope. Because if you think about it, if you're so afraid that life's not going to work out, it's hard to live with that hope and that openness and that possibility that you can have the things that you want. And this great philosopher Krishnamurti said, you know the reason why I'm happy? I'm happy because I don't mind what happens. And if you think about it, if we didn't mind what happened, of course we'd be happy because we'd live every day in the moment and we'd be open and we'd be expansive and we believe that life would take us where it needed to go. But we have mortgages and we have jobs and we have children, so we mind things. So the key is how can we mind less? Because the more we could let go of our fear of the unknown, the more expansive we could be, the more we could live in possibility and we could release that pain. And I know most people listening know that feeling when they're able to let go. It's this feeling of great relief. And I think if we could just remember this, we could remember that the unknown is really our best friend. Because if you want your life to change, it has to happen in the unknown. If you want to achieve your goal, if you want a new relationship, if you want anything in your life to be different, the unknown is where it's going to happen. And so what I like to do is I found, because I was addicted to certainty, because if I didn't know what was going to happen, I projected things were going to be bad or weren't going to work out. So what I've done in my life is I've embraced this idea of maybe. And what maybe is, it's this open space that reminds me all the time, you're not doomed, you're not stuck, life always changes. And there are these mantras that I do, maybe everything is okay, 
Maybe things will get better. Maybe there's something left for me in this moment to experience. And it's just this one little word, but it reminds you again and again and again that everything still might be okay, even though you feel scared and even though you don't know what's going to happen next. Life always moves forward, and we will move forward with life. So there's this idea that, that this opening and this, this idea of maybe, that maybe we are okay. And if we could just remember that uncertainty is our best friend and maybe everything's okay, and life will keep changing, we will find the hope and resilience to always find our way. Is there an exercise or or something else that you do that you can share with us that can help us to mind less and to let go and release that fear so we can stay hopeful? Yes, and, and I'd like to go back to this idea of maybe because it sounds so simple, right? It's just one little word, but we need something to help us let go. Sometimes we're, we're all so afraid of things changing, of things ending, but there's always this next breath. What happens when we're afraid of the unknown, we forget that there's going to be another opportunity in our next breath to have a different experience. And so what I like to do is I first like to ask myself, what's my biggest fear? Am I afraid that I'm not going to get this client? Um, or are you afraid that you're not going to get a job or afraid that you'll never fall in love again? Whatever your greatest fear is, write it down. And then ask yourself, am I absolutely certain that this is going to happen? And the funny thing is, we're so afraid of uncertainty. This is one time when it works to our advantage because you say to yourself, am I certain this fear is going to happen? And most of the time, we're not certain what's going to happen next. So then we could take a deep breath and say, wait a second, I'm not certain that I'm not going to get that job or I'm never going to find a job or things aren't going to change. So what else is there? And then we start to incorporate the maybe. And first, there are very broad maybe statements. Maybe everything's okay. Maybe things will get better. And then one of the most powerful ones is maybe there's something left for me to experience in this moment. We forget that. Sometimes we get so consumed with our pain and our suffering, we forget that in that moment, there's usually something else to experience. It could be a hug, it could be the sun, or it could be a new opportunity. But when we're so busy telling the story that things are bad or we're suffering, we can't even see that extra space in the moment that's giving us something that's so beautiful. So what maybe does, it also reminds us that in the moment, there's something else. And then over time, you know, you just find these these mantras, these maybe statements that just help you. Like for me, when I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling worried and I forget about the possibilities in life, I'll often hear myself say, maybe everything is okay. Maybe this moment is giving me something I can't see. And I take that breath and my mind calms down. And usually I do see something that's so beautiful in the moment. And it does calm me down. It does give me peace and also gives me hope because I know I'm not doomed. And life will change, and I promise you, you will change with it. We just need to keep an open mind, and maybe it's just another tool that we can use to always stay expansive and always stay open and to make sure that we're ready always to live our best life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations, and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. 
Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Joining us today to talk about achieving peak performance is Scott Doty, founder of Brainstorm Tutoring and Arts. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Joan. So, Scott, when people talk about peak performance, they often relate it to something physical, but your work is around peak mental and emotional performance. You strive to instill the confidence that sustains us. So, what are the basics to achieving our best? Well, great question. Thank you. So, uh, okay, I'm going to speak to adults in your audience regarding personal achievement in their own lives, but I also wanted to talk to some of them as adults who are maybe parents or mentors to children to help young people to, uh, to understand the concept of achievement as well. So I would say some of the basics for achieving our best. I always like to talk about it in four categories. First one is compelling vision. So the first part of achievement is having a clear sense of what you're trying to achieve in the future. And the most famous book in the world says that without vision, the people perish. So the first step is we want to have a really clear sense of something that's exciting to us in the future that we're working towards. Second thing is a growth mindset. I love recommending the book. It's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it's awesome. It's the concept of learning how to compare yourself effectively, which is to say you compare yourself to yourself as opposed to your peers. And so that's the second essential ingredient is learning how to take on, instead of the fixed mindset, the growth mindset. Third piece is systems, not goals. So uh, one of my favorite authors' name is James Clear, and his, his saying is, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And so a lot about achievement is about figuring out systems that are daily habits that lead us in the right direction, rather than obsessively focusing only on outcome. We focus, in other words, like I talk about with my students, we focus on the process, not on the product. Uh, and the fourth piece is community. We all need motivation. We all need accountability. And surrounding ourselves with people who can help us get there is a crucial component of achievement. So those are the big four as the basics for achievement. Is compelling vision, a growth mindset, systems that are well-designed, uh, and community. Scott, why do you believe it's important that we have a mind-body balance? Well, balance between mind and body is crucial and also just a balance about between uh, you know obsession with achievement and with mental wellness in general because the ends don't justify the means right achievement at all costs is both dangerous and spurious so by dangerous i mean that as we know uh, for example teenagers who are struggling so much with the pressures that we put on them with test results and college admissions and so forth a lot of them feel so overwhelmed by the stress of achievement, quote unquote, is that they're, that they're turning to drugs, they're turning to suicides, there's relational friction between parents and children and so forth. And I think that it's, it's toxic. And it's also, I say, spurious because uh, I, mean, I mean by that misleading or false, meaning we have a misleading uh, uh, or false sense of what achievement means. So, for example, uh, we often think that the result is all that matters, which, as we said, is very dangerous. Um, also, we believe that success always has to look a certain way. Like, okay, it has to look like straight A's. But why can't it be that, that a student has a great sense of humor and a killer work ethic, right? Or we, we might say, you know, oh, I want my son to have a decorated law career, or I want to have a decorated, incredible medical career. But why can't it be a passion-filled career as a welder or a dancer? I mean, the concept is that we have a misleading sense of what achievement or success means and without the balance of some other piece that isn't just numerical we get into very dangerous territory and one more point i like to make is also that 
people are often, they believe that if they're convinced that the stakes are high and that they're relentless and obsessed with results, that they will win. But I always tell them about the bar of soap. Achievement is like a bar of soap. The harder that you try to grip it, the more it slips away from you. So you have to learn what I call the art of insouciance. Like, no worries. I trust the outcome. I'm going to learn to have balance in my life between achievement on the surface in a way that looks good on my resume and wellness that's long lasting internally. Because what's the point of getting into an Ivy League school and then ending your life, right? That's so not, it's so silly. Achieving, achieving balance between mental wellness and achievement is crucial. We want what I call achievement without asterisks. But Scott, how do we go about making this shift? If you look at the pressures that are placed on our kids today, they're, they're coming from every direction, from the home, from the school, yeah. from society, right. from other parents. I remember when my kids right. were younger, these boys had pitching coaches at the age of seven. So how do we make right. this shift away from this? Well, that's a good question. So I think uh, I often get the question, are we putting too much pressure on our kids? And I often say the answer is no. Because in our zeal, right, to love our children, we will inevitably put what we believe to be positive pressure on them. We want the best for them. Okay, so I like to say it's not about the quantity of pressure. You're putting, you're going to put pressure on your kids. This is the way, it's the nature of things. But we're putting the wrong kind of pressure on our, on our kids. We're reinforcing uh, mistaken notions of performance and definitions of achievement. We're setting them up to fail because we are pressuring them the wrong way. So, yeah, we want them to succeed materially and numerically, right? Like we want them to get good grades or we want them to get into a great college um, and we want them to succeed in their job later down the line, et cetera. But society does that at large and, and the education system does it. Our role as mentors or as our as uncles, as parents, as, as older uh, mentors for our, our young kid people is to balance that with positive pressure in other ways. Like, hey, let me help you develop your self-concept. Help me, let me help you to identify and develop your unique genius. Let me help you to grow in your integrity and your work ethic um, to develop what we call the, the eulogy values, not the resume values, help them to grow in character. And so that's what I would say is that on, in the home that the parents, parents need to take the mindset that society is already putting plenty of pressure on, on these kids to perform at a high level. Let me put the positive loving pressure on them to develop internal strength and mental wellness and virtues that will last them for a lifetime. And in the meantime, let's also continue the broader social dialogue about the outcomes we want from our education system, because in particular, the the education system needs to focus on stronger social, emotional wellness outcomes. Scott, can you share a few hacks with us? Uh, Sure. Um, So I love, there are different different ways to look at this. I'll give you a couple of hacks that are geared towards systems and long-term achievement and big picture stuff. Uh, On a different day, maybe we can talk about hacks that are day of when the pressure is high, how do you succeed? It's your big interview for the job. It's your SAT exam. It's the big moment. I love those kinds of hacks as well. But I'll give you some quick pointers that are more general lifestyle-oriented hacks. So the first one is get a mentor, right, which is to say a friend from your circle or maybe from your faith community or hire a coach. Because when it comes to your one life or your child's one life, the stakes are just too high to drift along and allow yourself to be swept up in you know, the inertia of status quo. You have a unique gifting. Your child has a unique gifting, a unique genius, uh, just waiting to be unleashed. And it's very hard to do it alone. So I would first advise a good simple hack is reach out to someone you trust and make the investment of time or maybe of money and get that person on your side. Second, put into words precisely what you want to achieve and by when. Make what are called SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T, SMART goals. You can Google that. Then design systems. This is key. Design systems to support the goals and then throw the goals away. The concept is you want to trust your systems, especially if a professional has helped you develop them. Trust your systems, work the systems, and have faith that the outcome will be fantastic. Those are a couple of my favorite hacks. And Scott, where can our listeners go to get more information? Uh, my personal site is thescottdoty.com. So T-H-E-V, Scott, and my last name is D-O-T-Y. So thescottdoty.com, late this winter or early in the spring, I'm going to be also launching an online academy for elite achievement, productivity, performance under pressure, wellness, all those things. So I'm excited to launch that, and people can track me on that website, thescottdoty. In the meantime, they can check out my company, Brainstorm Tutoring, at stormthetest.com, stormthetest.com. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Jones. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
This is Jill Van Nostrand and Aaron Hoffman here with your financial tip. In our busy lives, feeling financially balanced may seem like a pipe dream. Things like changing careers, education, and unexpected life events can be a challenge to manage, but taking these steps to organize and optimize our finances can make a big difference in how we feel and behave around our money. Write down and commit to your financial goals. Keep a notebook or make a vision board to bring those goals to life. Know your real-life budget and stick to it. This includes not just daily living expenses, but also saving for an emergency emergency fund, retirement planning, college planning, and life events. Develop wealth building strategies for now and the future. Paying yourself first is critical to financial balance, and we recommend saving between 15 to 20% of gross income. If that seems daunting, begin saving 1% and increase that over time. Review your protection strategy, including life, health, disability, long-term care, and umbrella policies for you, your family, and your business. Consider whether the current coverage is optimal or if there are gaps that need to be addressed. It is important to remember the old adage that Rome wasn't built in a day, and improving our finances is a process that takes time. Stay positive and reward yourself for your wins no matter how small they seem. Jill Van Nostrand is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC. Jill Van Nostrand and Aaron Hoffman, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Certified Financial Services, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. OSJ 52 Forest Ave, Paramus, New Jersey 07652. 201-843-7700. 2020-93-104. Expiration January 2022. When deciding to list your home for sale, the goal is to sell your home at the highest price possible within the shortest period of time. Making sure that your home sells fast is an important part of this process because it makes sure that you net the most money possible. Hi, my name is Danielle Grosso from my team, GC Properties, New Jersey, within Keller Williams Realty, here to share four tips with you on how to sell your home faster and at the highest price. One, make buyers feel at home by decluttering your home. Pack away all personal items like pictures, awards, and sentimental belongings. Two, since you took the time to declutter, keep it organized. Before the buyers show up, pick up toys, make the beds, clean and put away the dishes. Three, give buyers full access. Some buyers, especially those relocating, don't have much time available. If they can't get into your house right away, they might move on to the next one, and you don't want to miss the opportunity. Four, and most importantly, price it right. With all the competition coming onto the market, you want to make sure your home is noticed. By pricing it to sell immediately, your home will be seen by the greatest amount of buyers, might get multiple offers, and will sell above the asking price. Wouldn't that be great? If you want to sell your home in the least amount of time, at the best price, with as little hassle as possible, a local realtor is a useful guide. Call them today to find out what you need to do to get your home sold. And if you have any further questions about real estate, whether that be buying, selling, or investing, please visit our website, gcpropertiesnj.com and click the contact button. I'd love to connect. Do you ever feel like there is no support and you are doing things all on your own? With hypnosis, you can bring in the feeling of being supported. Hi, I'm Mary Beth Battaglia, and I am a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. Many times people feel disconnected and the weight of the world upon them. It's not a very comfortable place to live in. Through the mind and visualization, we can create support within us and all around us. Take a moment to take a nice deep breath in and slowly let it out. And imagine yourself in a forest sitting against a tall, strong tree. Allow yourself to feel the tree having your back. Feel the love from the tree. Feel the support and draw from its strength to help you feel good within and supported. Allow yourself to really embrace it and see yourself moving forward in your life with the support, with the strength from the tree. And just see yourself feeling complete and happy. I am Mary Beth Battaglia, and you can find out more about hypnosis at MetroHypnosisCenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? 
the result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. talk about how we can make a difference by registering as an organ donor is Frank Holloman, Acting Division Director of the Health Resources and Services Administration's Division of Transplantation. Welcome, Frank. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on your show to discuss the importance of organ eye and tissue donation, as well as organ transplantation in our nation. Frank, medical advancement in the field of transplantation saves lives, yet Right now, more than 113,000 men, women, and children are on the National Organ Transplant Waiting List, and sadly, many will not receive an organ in time. So how rapidly is this wait list growing, and is this a serious problem? Yes, Joan, you've hit on uh, two of our key messages. That one, uh, there are over 113,000 men, women, and children on the waiting list, and Someone new is added every 10 minutes, and unfortunately, there are about 20 people who die each and every day waiting on a life-saving transplant. Uh, the good news, of course, is that uh, each donor can save up to eight lives and enhance up to 50 more, and so we encourage to send out the message to encourage your listeners to register as an organized tissue donor, and that way we can work toward closing the gap. Frank, what are some of the medical advancements in organ transplantation? Well, the medical advancements, of, uh, of course, uh, across the medical environment has led to uh, certainly us living longer lives, and which has both been a, a positive and a negative as, one, uh, we're living health longer and healthier lives, and we're able to be donors as well as recipients much later in life. Uh, but the medical advancements continue in this field of transplantation. Of recent note, uh, there's been a live donor who had HIV who was able to give or donate their organ uh, kidney to another recipient who had HIV. So the medical field continues to grow in this area. So you just mentioned uh, a situation where a person that had a health issue was still able to become a donor. Are there any race or age or health limitations that people should be aware of? Well, thank you, Joan. Uh, we, our key message to your listeners is don't rule yourself out. Uh, irregardless of your age, your medical condition, or your ethnicity, uh, we say that doctors will be the ones who make the decision whether your organs or tissues can be transplanted. We've had a donor uh, 93 years old, and so age is certainly not a factor. And so, again, we encourage you, don't rule yourself out. For someone who might be on the fence about making this decision, what advice do you offer to help that person decide to become a donor? Well, for people who are on the fence, uh, our advice is for them to go to our website, organdonor.gov. There they will be able to see many of the facts 
Um, it's, uh, frequently asked questions. Uh, we have uh, many educational materials, uh, and so we want people to be aware. And so by going to our site and looking over the materials, they will be able to make a sound choice for themselves. And Frank, what's the process when a person decides that he or she wants to become a donor? How does that person go about doing it? It's a very simple and easy process. They can uh, also go to our organdonor.gov website uh, as they're searching for information and education materials. And there they also will see a link to their state registry. And so they would just click on the button, the drop down shows you what state, and they go to the state that they're, they live in uh, in order to sign up and register. The second way they can uh, register to be an organ donor is to go to their local Department of Motor Vehicles, which also gives them the opportunity to sign up there. How does a person's family or friends or even the medical facilities know if a person's a donor? Not everyone remembers to tell people. So is there some way that their loved ones and medical practitioners can know? Yes. Well, the, uh, there are some steps that are in place that the medical professionals at the time of someone's passing will know if a person's registered to be an organ eye or tissue donor. Uh, we, uh, one of our other messages that you certainly led into is we want, uh, we want the, those who register to be organ donors to also talk with their families and so that their wishes can be respected at the time of their death. And where can people go for more information about being a donor? Yes, they can go to organdonor.gov. And again, there they will find uh, uh, many of our materials, educational videos, and see some wonderful stories of those who have donated. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. She wants to be home with her friends, but at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. Visit stjude.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember, the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, Listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.